This morning's reading in the Old Testament is uh, Psalm 103, 1 through 14. And you can find it on page 637 and 638 of your pew Bibles. But before we read it, would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for giving us your word and the ability to ponder it. Father, thank you and please open our eyes and our ears to see and hear what you want us to see and hear. And open our hearts to really understand what your word is teaching us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget all, not all his beliefs, who forgives all your inequity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you from the steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. As father, he shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Thanks, Bob. Good morning. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. But as we look at this section of Paul's scripture, it makes us think about health, about our spiritual health. So let's look at the continuing study in the book of Ephesus, the letter to the Ephesians, and what Paul says to us about our spiritual health. We're reading today in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. It's on page 1243 in your pew Bible. This is one of the highlights of the whole scripture, but of actually this letter. In fact, I've had four people tell me in the last three days this is their favorite part of the Bible. Let's hear what Paul says to the Christians at Ephesus. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So I have spent my life in two different careers. My first career was uh, after going to seminary. I was on Young Life staff and I spent time working with high school kids. And then I left that and went into pharmaceutical industry selling pharmaceuticals. I tell a lot of people I spent most of my life trying to get kids off drugs, and now I'm trying to get people on drugs. So it's been a little bit of a a two-way street. 
But I probably see 10 to 15 doctors a day in Amarillo, Lubbock, Midland, Odessa, and, and, and around. I see hundreds of doctors every week. And, and it's a great experience, and it's a privilege to work with folks like that. But there's been some funny things happen, too. Um, <clears throat> I was in a doctor's office <laughs> up uh, in Perryton one time, and he just had lunch, and he invited me to come back into his desk there. And he was sitting across his desk, and I'm doing my little presentation. I, I look down, all of a sudden I hear snoring, and I look up, he's, he's dead asleep. He's just head back drooling, and I'm just sitting there looking around, and finally I just kind of close my deal and walk out, and as I leave the reception, he goes, he fall asleep on you? I go, yeah, he, he, she says, he does it every day. So I just kind of slipped out. <laughs> Several years before that in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I had my once a year appointment, my, my appointment not for me physically, but my sales appointment with the biggest cardiologist in the area in Tulsa. He was a well-known, uh, written, he'd been published in JAMA, and you had once a year you could meet with him. And he went to this big office at St. John's Hospital, and they took you back about four different levels, and you go into this big room, and he's got all these degrees, and he and he's sitting back there behind this big desk. He's got his lab coat on. It looks perfect. And I walk in. I'm kind of a new rep, and I'm kind of nervous. I sit down, and I begin presenting my sales presentation. And he's listening to me. He's just very well, just very stoic. And he, and he leans back in this roller chair, and all of a sudden, he flips over completely upside down. I mean, I mean legs overhead. He does a backflip, and I can't see him for a minute. And I'm like... Do I go around and help the guy? What do I do? And he gets up, literally, seriously, he gets up, comes here, sits down and says, and what were you saying? And I'm like, you just did a flip. He acted like it never happened. I just kind of said, well, sir, thank you. And I just, I could not believe it. He just, he was, uh, he was, (laughs) he was on his back. But but we talk about doctors though. One thing we know that when we go to a doctor, he does a checkup on you. They were supposed to, as you get as we get older, we're supposed to have a checkup, an annual checkup, a yearly checkup. And you go in there, and it's not because you're sick or anything, but he's going to go in, and he's going to check, or she's going to check on all your vitals. And they're going to go through your cholesterol numbers, and your weight, and your blood pressure, and your blood sugar. And they're going to run all these labs and all these tests. And then at some point, you're going to get a report back that says how you're doing physically. This is what you should be like, and this is where you are. And here's the, pro- here's the diagnosis, here's the prognosis, here's a prescription and we do that faithfully, especially in America. We're the healthiest people in the world, supposedly. And we, we follow what the doctor says. We get a physical checkup and we make changes to save our lives. Well, Paul says that we need to do that spiritually. In fact, even more important than our physical health is our spiritual health. That he gives us a little checkup here. The letter at Ephesus uh, to the Ephesians is written to Christians. And it's a checklist on how we're doing. And so it's a checklist for me and you and for us as a church to see how are our vitals and what do we need to do? And this part, he talks about how wide and deep and long and high is the love of God that we need to be checking into that. So he starts off the verse like this. Look at these first few words. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees. And for what reason? Which is kind of a non sequitur if you look at the verse before, but Paul's been talking about the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That the grace is by faith alone, and we're saved by grace, and what it means, what the gospel means to us. And he was talking about that in the first couple of chapters. He goes off on kind of a little diversion, and he comes back to it and goes, but for this reason, because of what God has done through Jesus Christ, when I think of you, I bow my knees. Now, most Jews prayed standing up. Remember Jesus and the Passion of the Christ? Have you seen that movie? He's in the garden. Most Jews pray standing up before the Lord. 
But when they're entreating, when they're begging God, they bow their knees. In fact, they, they actually lay their face down. And Paul says, when it comes to you in the church, when it comes to your spiritual health, I'm on my knees praying for you. How often do we get on our knees and pray for each other? I bow my knees because of what God is doing. Now, I want you to notice how he prays for this church and how he prays for us and how we should pray for each other and ourselves. He never prays for circumstances. He never prays for health, physical health. He doesn't pray for money. He doesn't pray for blessing or abundance or prosperity. It's not a gimme, 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 bless me, bless me, bless me, help me, help me, help me. He doesn't pray for parking spaces or let my daughter be a cheerleader or let my stock go up. Or he doesn't pray any of the shallow kind of prayers that we tend to pray. It's nothing about the outer circumstance. Here's the most important man, perhaps in history, after Jesus or David, one of the most well-read men in the world, the saint of Paul, and he's praying for us, and he doesn't pray for anything on the outward, nothing about our physical health, nothing that's wrong. He says, that doesn't matter as much as your spiritual health. I pray for these things for you. He says, this is what a spiritual healthy looks like. He gives a spiritual exam. Let's go through those. He says, I pray, I bow my knees in order that you might be these things. First, he says that you might be strengthened in your inner being. I don't care what your health looks like. I don't care how pretty you are, how beautiful you are. How's your inner person? How's your spiritual life? That's all that's really going to get you through. If we know Jesus, I pray that you're strengthened in your inner being. He prays this, that you have Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. Doesn't matter how religious you are, how smart you are, how churchy you are. Is Jesus in your heart? Is he living there? That word dwell is to habit, inhabit. Is Jesus really in your heart? Or are you just playing a head game or a, a, about Jesus or, or a, an emotional game? Does he really live in you? And then he prays this for us. Here's the, here's the next check on the spiritual exam. That you're rooted and grounded in love. Not that you're brilliant. Not that you're, <laughs> you know, that you know it all. Or not that you're a good little Christian but that you are grounded. The foundation, the the motivation, the reason we do things is based in love. The love of God. This agape, agape, not eros, not philos, not motherly love, not erotic love, not romantic love, not even brotherly love, but agape. Are you grounded in real love? How healthy is our love life? I'm not talking about romance. And then he says this great, we're going to go back to this because this is the epicenter of this whole book. He says, I pray that you be able to comprehend or grab a hold of all the dimensions of Christ's love. Do you really get it? You talk about Jesus loves me, this I know. Really, do you get it? We'll kind of come back to that because that's the crux of the whole matter. Then he ha- here's another spiritual checklist. Do you know the love of Christ? Do you really know that you know that you know? Not kind of every once in a while I experience it or now and then, but I have no doubt. I know that I know that I know. Someone said, I know that Jesus Christ loves me. And this last one, this is kind of the, (laughs) this is a key one. Are you filled with the fullness of God? Are we full people? Uh, As Jesus said to the woman at the well, when he says, (laughs) I can give you water, It'll cause you never to drink again, never to thirst again. And she says, give me that water. He says, if I give you this water, it will flow, it will overflow and pour out to others. You will be so full. Uh, Paul says, are we like that? Is our life so full of God, so full of the love of Christ, it just spills out to other people? Is is our our, our life full, like Jesus said in John 10, 10, he came that would have life and have it to the fullest do we live an abundant life? Do we look like that? So that's the spiritual checklist. 
If you get your report back from the Holy Spirit, how, how are you doing on those things? How am I doing? How are we doing as a church? Are, 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 we, call, are we people of love and a church of love? Are we focused on the inner, not the outer person? More on knowing Jesus than, than being, being religious. How are we doing as far as people coming to have Christ in their hearts? What's our spiritual checklist? What's, this, what's the report going to say? How's our exam going to do? Are we going to fail? Are we going to pass? Unfortunately, most Christians don't do very well. We're kind of anemic as far as the church in, the, in this country. We're spiritually poor. We're in poor spiritual health. We're, we're anemic Christians. We, we struggle. Nietzsche, the founder of atheism, in the kind of the pre-Hitler days, Nietzsche was the, the atheistic thinker and the philosopher of Germany, and he kept saying, there is no God, there is no God. So one day, on a Sunday, he decided to check these Christians out. So he walked down the street in Germany, and he walked into a Lutheran church. He sat in the back, and he listened and watched for about an hour. Then he walked out. And he went home, and he wrote this. I've never seen such a mealy-mouthed, miserable, <laughs> sorry-looking group of people in my life. If there is a God, he would be ashamed to be called their God. Is that how the world sees us spiritually? Are we known more for our politics and what we don't agree with than we are for loving people and what we are for? Are we known more about religion and about being righteous than we are about being real and loving people? Are we, do people know more for what we're against than what we're for? Are our lives full, so full that people say, I want to know what that Jesus is. On Monday, I did my wife's uh, great uncle's funeral, a wonderful man named Nelson. And I, as I began to prepare for that funeral over Boxwell Brothers, in the, the days before, I talked to the, all the family. I mean, there's 18, there's, all, there's 11 kids, and there's, there's hundreds of grandchildren. It's a great family. And as I talked to them about this man, Nelson, nobody said he was a religious man. He was a good, nobody said he did, did this and this, he didn't do this. They said he loved us. He loved people. He loved life. He would do anything for us. He was, life was so full. So he didn't talk about what he didn't do, what he was against, but what he was for. It was about people. And is that how people characterize our lives spiritually? I would have the privilege of working with college students and young adults in our church, in our society, in, our, in, our, in this whole community, WT and AC, and I, I hear a lot of things. And, and I hear about kind of more of a, a snapshot of what the world looks like to them and what the church looks like to them and why millennials are dropping out of the church and dropping out of religion by the hundreds of thousands. It's because they don't see reality. They see religion, not, re- not, not spiritual health. One of the songs that's kind of an anthem of this generation that says a lot about this poor spiritual diagnosis that Christians have, that the church has, that our country has, is written by a guy named Passenger. It used to be a group called Passenger, but this you can look this song up. My uh, friend, I hear a lot of my kids listen to it. He says this about our culture. This is pretty insightful. He's a millennial. He says this about his own generation. We wish our weekends away. We spend our weekends in bed. We drink ourselves stupid and we work ourselves dead. It's all because that's what mom and dad said we should do. Well, we wish we were happier, thinner, and fitter. We wish we weren't losers and liars and quitters. We want something more, not just nasty and bitter. We want something real, not just hashtags and Twitter. It's the meaning of life. It's streamed live on YouTube, but I bet Gangnam Style will get more views. We're scared of drowning, of flying, of shooters. We're all slowly dying in front of our flipping computers. 
We should be running through the forest. We should be swimming in the streams. We should laugh. We should cry. We should love. We should dream. We should stare at the stars and not just screams. We should hear what I'm saying and know what it means. So he says, kind of an anthem to his generation, sing, sing at the top of your voice, love without fear in your heart. Can you feel, feel like you have a choice? If we were all lights, we can scare away the dark. That's what the gospel says. We should be lighting up the dark. That's what Paul says in Philippians, that we should appear amidst this crooked and diverse, crooked and perverse generation, Paul says in Philippians, that's dark, that's spiritually dying, that's, that's having poor spiritual health. We should appear as lights, as stars in the sky, it's like the fireworks you saw. We should be the lights that light up the sky. Christ says we should be the light of the world. We should be more about people and less about politics, more about reality and, and, and we're not religion, more for things than against things, lights in the world. How do we do that? What's the prognosis? If the diagnosis is, I mean, he's writing this to Christians. Why would he tell Christians things that Christians already have? Christ in your heart. Be rooted in love. Because we're not doing it. At least the world doesn't see us doing it. How do we do it? Go back to that key verse. He says this is what it's like. That whole word that we might grasp. Let's look at that whole idea. To be able to grasp the width and depth, how wide and deep and long and high the love of Christ is. I used to do this when I was a young life leader with non-Christian kids so they would understand this. So do this with me. I want you to do this. Ready? I want you to go how wide and deep and long and high. Let's do that. Ready? How wide and deep and long and high. That's all it is. Paul says, if you want to be spiritually healthy, if you want the world to really take note and think we're for real, if you want to get beyond religion to reality, authenticity, be able to grasp that. And this word grasp is very, very interesting. Some of us are thinkers, and we think about Jesus, and we think our way, and we're intellectual. As Presbyterians, we like to be these rugged intellectualists, and we think through our faith, and we we know our John Stott and our C.S. Lewis and our Keller. We're thinking Christians. Well, that's okay. Some of us are feelers. We're, we're kumbaya, we're Jesus calling, or that might be a John, we're Jesus calling, we're, we're, we're worship, and we're, we're feely touchy Christians, and that's okay too. But Paul says that's not enough. Beyond thinking and feeling the gospel, we must have experience in the reality of Jesus Christ. Do we really experience the love of Jesus and how overwhelming it is? And he says this word grasp, it says that you may be able to have the strength to comprehend, but the Greek word there, grasp, means so much more than that. It means to fully take hold of. When I was in young life, I would take kids backpacking, and actually when I was in Austin, I was a backpacking instructor for a while, and I would teach people how to repel. And if you've ever repelled down a mountain, we actually used to take kids to the Harrington building and repel off the side of that. That was crazy. But we would get up on that, you would get up on that, and I would be here, and I would have a, an anchor rope around me, and, have a, and that rope would be around this young person going down the cliff or the, the side of the building. That person would also be tied into an anchor, so if some reason this rope broke right up, this other rope would hold them, and you would have to sit there, and they would literally have to stand on the edge of that and lean, fall back, completely back until they were parallel, until they were flushed with that, and then start walking down. Now, you can think and believe in your head all you want about repelling the principles of physics that that rope will hold you. You can think that. You can feel like it may or may not work. But the only way you grasp that that rope's really going to hold you is falling off the building. 
is taking that step off, and then you know that rope's going to hold you. I said I believed in the resurrection, but I didn't grasp it until my mother died. I said I knew the Holy Spirit could comfort me, but I didn't grasp it until I went through a horrible divorce. I said I trusted God with my children, but I didn't grasp it until I had to send them off away. I said I believed that God could heal, but didn't grasp it until I saw people dying in the hospital. You can't just think it. Paul says you can't just feel it. You've got to grab a hold of it. I heard a story. I worked in hospice before. There's a story about an elderly woman that lived in a poor part of town. Her social worker, she had no family around her. And the social workers and people would come to try to help her. As when they were in her house, they could literally see the sunlight come through the slats in her house. In the summer, she would burn up. In the winter, cold would come in. She'd get pneumonia almost every year. And finally, they came to her house one day, and she had died in her bed with, of pneumonia because she would never turn the heat on, because she would never fix her house. She'd grown up in the Depression, and she had just become fearful and become so afraid of spending any money. And when they began closing her estate, they found out she had millions, not thousands, millions of dollars in the bank. And she would only take out $50 a week. She knew she had that money. She was aware of it. She thought, but she didn't take hold of it and give her life. And Paul says, thinking and feeling is not enough. Are you comprehending? Are you grasping the reality of these dimensions of Christ's love? Let's just look at those. I love these dimensions. How wide? How wide? Hold that, Mom. How wide is the love of God? You know, if you've done construction or anything and you guys are out, how wide is the love of God? Well, how wide is our church, you know? You can only go about 20 feet right there. But Paul says, the love of God is so wide. I always love this. The love of God is so wide. He, we go back to Psalm 103. He says, as far as east is from west, so far will he remove our sins from us. Now think about that. You know this. This is not something I came up with. If you fly in an airplane towards the North Pole, and you keep flying north and keep flying north, eventually you cross the pole and you start flying south. If you fly south, you fly north. There's a demarcation line. But if you fly east or west, you'll always fly east and you'll never meet west. Or you'll always fly west and never meet east and west. Never meet. There an infinity. There's an infinite space between east and west. That's how wide the love of Jesus is. It's, it's immeasurable. It's beyond all that we can even imagine. It goes so far. As I say in Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond. That's how wide the love of Christ is. Then I like this, how deep the love of God is. How deep is God's love? How, how, how far down does it go? When I was in Carlsbad Cavern, it was a small, I remember going through Carlsbad with my family, and we were going through different levels on a tour, and we came to this one ledge, and there was a railing, and down below was a lower part of the cave. In the back of that, there was a hole that just went down. And there was an old ladder there. And it said on the sign, the tour guide said, this is the unexplored part of Carlsbad Cavern. In 1953, a group of National Geographic explorers, 10 of them went down that hole, and this is their ladder, and they never came back. That scared me. How deep is that? There are places around our continent called blue holes. We have one in Santa Rosa where people go and learn how to scuba dive. And apparently that 80-foot hole is connected to inner caves They've never found the bottom of it. That's nothing compared to the depth 
of the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. It's immeasurable. In fact, I like this in Psalm 103. He says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord loves us. There's not many people I would die for. There's not many people that I love more than my own life, my wife, my children. Nobody else keeps you awake at night. Nobody else gives you heartache and joy than your own children. And that doesn't even scratch the surface of how much God the Father loves us. So much that he gave his most beloved possession, his own son, to die for us. How deep the love of the Father. How deep the love of the Father. Do we grasp that? Do we feel that? Do we, do we live with that every day? And then the next dimension. And how long, if we ran this tape measure all the way back, how long is our church? How long is the love of God? The steadfast love of the Lord is from the past to the future. The steadfast love is from the beginning of time to the end of time. No! It's from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity past, when there, God has no beginning. And he loved us back then. He knew our names. He made us. He loved us. He, he knows the number of our hairs are on our head to the future, which will never go on forever and ever. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing God's praise. He loves us in between all of that. He loves all of my past, no matter what I've done. He loves my present. He loves all of my future. He loves every second of every existing moment, he has loved you and I. Do I get that? How high is the love of God? I wonder how high, how high is it up to the peak? How high the love of God is? How, how far does it go? Well, in 1961, the first cosmonaut, the first man, went into space. Yuri Gagarin, the Russian atheist. And he went up into space and he came back and he said in a public press conference, there's no God. I went to space and he wasn't there. <laughs> really? That's what you think, that God just lives in outer space? The scripture says as high as the heavens are above the earth, beyond anything we can imagine. At the very end, if, our, if you believe the Big Bang Theory, whatever, and our universe is still expanding, well, even beyond that, David says, where can I go from your presence? If I go to the remotest parts of the universe, you are there. The psalmist says that God holds the universe in the span of his hand. The span is what they would measure for before they had measuring tapes. And he says that in the entire existence of the universe, God holds it like that. And he loves us. <laughs> he loves us higher than that. There's, there's no end to God's immeasurable love. Do you grasp? Are you experiencing, so that we're spiritually healthy, how wide and how deep and how long and how high the love of God is. If we could just get a glimpse of that every day, it would change our lives. We'd go from being spiritually anemic people who the world laughs at and calls religious zealots to being real, authentic people that the world could not avoid, could not turn away from. They would, would love to be and hear what we had and want to know this Jesus. When Moses just said, Lord, I want to see you, I want to see your face, the Lord said, it would kill you. And so he says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put you in this little cleft of this rock. I want you to hide right here. And when I say look, you, you look. And the Lord passes by and he says, now. And he just sees a glimpse of the back of, of God Almighty. And it changes him forever. He glows. He is changed forever. If every day you and I would just get a glimpse 
of how loved we are that no matter what happens to my bank account, my body, my, my, my world, my politics, my health, someone snubbing me, uh, losing a job, getting a horrible disease, no matter what, if I grasp that, I'm spiritually healthy. What can man do to me? Nothing can happen to me. So here's my question. How's your spiritual health? Are you taking your medicine? Are you getting an infusion? A friend of mine has a horrible disease. He has to go to Dr. Saudi's office every week and get an infusion. Are we getting an infusion of the Holy Spirit through prayer and scripture and fellowship with each other? It never says that you personally might be strengthened. It says that all the saints together, I can't know the width and height, the breadth and depth of God's love by myself. There's no such thing. We do it together. You can't do it alone. You can't do it without the church. You'll be spiritually distorted and unhealthy. Are you taking your medicine? Are you doing the rehab? Is Jesus more than just a theological exercise or an emotional rust for you? Is he a living reality in your life that has completely changed your personal history and the trajectory of your life? How do we do that? How is that even possible? Well, here's the great news. One of the greatest benedictions in all of Scripture. How do I become that person? How do I, how do I, how do I get to where I can grasp it? Well, Paul gives us the answer. Here's the prescription. You know how you can do it? You ask. You bow your knees. You and I get down and we say, you know what, God, would you do this? He says, I will do far more than you even imagine. I will do it abundantly more than you ask or think. Are you thinking about it? Or will you just leave here and go out and live a normal life? Are you asking? Are you thinking about your spiritual health? Or are you just going to keep deteriorating until there's just a dead corpse spiritually? God, who is able to break that addiction, to save that marriage, to heal a lifelong wound, to stop a cycle of self-loathing, to restore a family, to get you out of the crap you're living in and take you to the authentic realization of how loved we are. Are you taking your shots? Will you take your medicine? Close with one of the most interesting stories about someone that began to grasp this. A Catholic priest named Brendan Manning wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel and other great books. And I heard him speak one time, and <laughs> this man was on fire for Jesus. He grasped, as an ex-alcoholic, he grasped how loved he was. And he <clears throat> got called from, he's in New Orleans, he got a call from a, a woman. She said, Reverend, or Father, would you go visit my dad? My dad's dying in the hospital. He's a tough old cuss, never believed in Jesus, never understood the love, thinks it's foolish, has never chosen Jesus. We go talk to him. True story, Brendan Manning goes and talks to this man. He's a tough guy. He's like, I've never followed. I don't believe this stuff. I think it's a crutch. I don't think you're intelligent. I think Christians are, are just blind fools, but I'm willing to try. Tell me about this, Jesus. How do I know it's real? How do I experience this? And he began to share gospel, and he gave him the book of John. He said, just read the book of John. He said, you see this chair I'm sitting in? When you're alone and you read your Bible, when you're by yourself and you're facing your own death, just picture Jesus sitting in this chair and talk to him. And he prayed for him and left. Well, two weeks later, the man died. My daughter called, Brendan Manning, said, my father's dead. Sorry to hear that. But I want you to know something. I think, I think you made a difference. Well, why is that? When they told me he died, we walked into the room. My father was laying dead in his bed, but he wasn't laying with his head on the pillow. He was laying sideways with his head in that chair like it was in the lap of Jesus. How wide and deep and high are we grasping the love of Christ in Jesus? Are you ready to jump off the cliff, jump in, draw out all the money? 
Let's get spiritual. Let's get healthy. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us so much. (laughs) You gave your son for us. May it be beyond our thought processes and having to figure it out. May it be beyond our feelings and emotions, our circumstances. May we bow before you and grasp by asking you to do what only you can do to show us how much you love us, that we would give our lives to you because you gave your son to us. Now as we give these gifts and offerings, a small token back to you for all you've done for us. So Lord, we give these gifts and these offerings to you. We give ourselves to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Turn to him his tithes and our offerings. Let us now approach God's throne of grace in prayer. Let us pray together. 
Father God, we pause to thank you this day for the rain that you have sent us, for the abundance of vegetation that has sprung forth so amazingly quickly. Father, we do ask that you would continue to break the back of this drought that we have experienced and send us more and more moisture in the days ahead. Father, I pray for those who have been in the hospital recently, especially uh, Mary Lynn and Irv Bergen, who are wrestling with various health issues. Also, Rita Rogers, who's had surgery and thankfully has gone home now. 